are his grades good? I forget. Do they talk about that at all? I don't think it's brought up. Not after that week. <laughs> Welcome to Slimehouse, a podcast rated PG for crude humor, outrageous hijinks, and mild language. I'm Nelson. I'm Jasper. I'm Jared. And I'm Max. And today we are covering Max Keeble's Big Move. October 5th, one movie has what every red-blooded American teenager wants. Presenting Max Keeble, the man, the mission, we need to stand together, the monkey, Max Keeble's big move, he has fatitude, Max Keeble's big move tells the story of 7th grader Max Keeble, who at the start of junior high has his whole world upended by the revelation that his family is going to be moving to Chicago, but... Upon realizing that moving means no sort of social consequences of any kind, Max spends his last days in town serving overdue payback to the school bullies, foiling the villainous principal's plans, and breaking all the rules before he says goodbye. The film's cast includes Alex D. Lins, who you might know from the other Slimehouse classic Home Alone 3. It includes a few young actors that were in a movie we covered earlier on the season, Snow Day. One of whom is Josh Peck, and the other is Zena Gray. And they were buddies in that movie, and they're buddies again in this movie. The supporting cast of adults includes Jamie Kennedy as the villainous, or should I say, vanillinous ice cream man, <laughs> Larry Miller as the principal of Max's school, Nora Dunn and Robert Carradine as his parents, and a special shout out to Miss Amy Hill who plays the school staff, Miss Rangoon. She was also in the movie we covered last week, Cat in the Hat, as the babysitter. And one thing we got to say is that more so than any movie we've covered, at least in a while, cameos play a big part in Max Keeble's big move. The opening scene has a cameo from pro skater supreme Tony Hawk. And we also get a cameo from Little Romeo, Someone who was starting a hip-hop career at the time. It also has a cameo from someone who would start a hip-hop career later, Hobson, who you might know as uh, the guy who had the worst single of the 2010s, according to the needle drop. Max Hebel's big move was the sophomore effort of director Tim Hill, who's really a slimehouse auteur, if there ever was one. In fact, he has a new movie out recently, the most recent SpongeBob flick as well as the war with grandpa which came out just last year which was our number two slimiest movie of 2020 and i think he's really notable because his movies really bridge this prime slime era of max keeble with kind of the more neo slime era he's done movies like hop war with grandpa the first alvin and the chipmunks movie all of which have been pretty large successes and Tim Hill comes from the Nickelodeon world, which is really where Slimehouse kind of blossomed and, and, and became what it is today. But it's on the Disney side of that realm. So it really does feel kind of like Disney effort to rival Nickelodeon in the slime world in theaters. It matches a lot of what they were doing with their television shows at the time. Shows like Lizzie McGuire, even Stevens, with that real suburban middle school craziness. And that was one reason I really liked it as a kid. I saw it in theaters. I very specifically remember my dad loving the part where the monkey pushes Principal, played by Larry Miller, into the chocolate pudding. And I rewatched it in high school, mostly got really excited about the Tony Hawk cameo and his line, man, that ice cream man sure is evil. But in college, the movie kind of held a special place for me because on Tyler, the creator's first mixtape, Bastard, 
he he has a lyric that name drops the movie he says inside of me but the thoughts it tells me are still evil with this state of mind big moves max keeble and i just thought man like that is such a deep cut movie reference and only one that like a rapper who like who grew up in the same timeline as me so there was something special about like recognizing like a deep cut film reference in a popular hip-hop song but what were your guys kind of experiences with this movie as a kid um, I vaguely remember seeing this movie on VHS and thinking it was funny and it just kind of being a movie that I saw a few times. This movie's main legacy to me is just the fact that I share a name with the title character, Max <laughs> Keeble, of course. So that got a lot of mileage in elementary school, middle school, just people calling me Max Keeble or just generally being like, oh, there's a movie about you coming out, Max. Max Keeble's big move. And other than that, I feel like for some reason the character of Robe, played by Josh Peck, was something that like was referenced pretty regularly amongst like my high school group of friends. And just random context, we would talk about bring up Robe sometimes. But <laughs> <laughs> otherwise, the movie's main legacy is just with my name, which this is actually the third movie we've covered with a Max in it. So feel like maybe i just have a slimy name if i had to choose one if i would probably say the top three slimiest boy names are max zach and cody so i gotta agree with that yeah <laughs> it's a pretty sweet life you got there so actually of a lot of the slime house movies we've covered so far this is one that i have particular fondness for I didn't see it in theaters, but I remember renting it on DVD, early DVD. I remember this is one I remember playing around with the DVD menus and filling out the quizzes and that kind of thing. But I think that my sister and I were just at the exact right age where this was the type of movie that we could get really excited about, where, you know, all the rules got broken, standing up to bullies, really making making a big splash. I think that wish fulfillment and excitement really spoke to us. And so I remember us being hyped to see it and then actually quite enjoying it just a crowd pleaser of a movie and i also remember it being just really popular among people my age i particularly remember having big discussions of how how odd it was that max keeble's crush was like a foot taller than he was and also looks you know seven years older than he does even though they're only like two years apart and we just thought that was really funny that she's like a grown person and he's like a little pipsqueak and then my last bit about this is that uh, I was talking to our good friend Jake Collins about this movie recently, and he was thinking about joining us for this episode, but he couldn't make it. And he said, I'm sorry, I'll have to miss the terrible, horrible, no good, very bad move that Max went on. And I had a moment, one of those just like epiphany moments where I was like, oh my gosh, I've been missing like the most obvious thing for 20 years. And it's that I thought the title was just Max Keeble's big move, like he was making moves in the school and like doing big things. I didn't realize that it's just he's moving and that that's the plot of the movie. And I somehow missed that deal and kind of cracked myself up for how obvious that is. But I always thought of it as just like Max Keeble making big moves at the school <laughs> i always thought it was actually max keeble's big movie so until like recently so i had an even bigger error i mean <laughs> like Piglet. he is making big moves like you know he's he's he sticking is, it yeah. to the man both the principles of the man the bullies are the man i think that's what makes this movie work for me because it's just like it's kind of recognizing that there's these different kind of levels and layers of like social structure and like power above you that you can resist um, but let, let me get into my experience with this movie. I don't have much. The people that I knew at school that saw it were obsessed with it. And I remember going over to a classmate's house to work on a project. And I, I just remember his dad complaining while I was over about how how his grades in, in social studies and history in particular were too low because of how much he was watching Max Keeble every day. <laughs> <laughs> When you throw yourself the ultimate going-away party, oh, better make sure yeah. you're really going. We're not moving? Oh, goody. Uh, Max Keeble's Big Move, now available on Disney DVD and video. Rated PG. That actually brings it, us into where this fits on the Slimehouse timeline. This came out in the peak era of 2001, but specifically October 5th, 2001. And that was within a month of September 11th, 2001, which was a traumatic moment in American history and I think because of that a lot of stuff that was being released uh, not just kids movies but just all movies 
underperformed at the box office, including this. It opened at number seven. In terms of more recent uh, movies in the last year or so, because we've been in this pandemic for a year, and I think we're going to see a similar phenomenon as we did with movies that came out shortly after 9-11 that didn't do well, but then caught on later, like Zoolander, and I think this film to some degree. Yeah, I really like that thought, Jared, and especially with a lot of these Slimehouse movies and movies from our growing up, you don't really know what sticks with you until you get older. Mm -hmm. I think that's kind of one of the mysteries of nostalgia and the mysteries of what really does make an impression on you and what does influence you later in life. And this is one of those movies that I and I'm sure all you guys use as one of the like primary examples of Slimehouse when kind of describing it to people who may be familiar with this movie, you know, people our age. And I think it's one of the biggest responses too that we get, you know, like, oh, here's Slimehouse. It's this kind of movie. And I have multiple people have said to me like, oh, like Max Hebel's big move. When are you guys going to do that one on the show? So it's, it's definitely one of those movies that over time, I think has come to signify a specific aesthetic and attitude that was so prevalent in the early thousands that we call Slimehouse, but I think was more so kind of this kids rule uh, mentality in popular culture at the time. Yeah, I'll say this because like I said, I was hyped on the movie when it came out, and therefore I remembered it quite well. If I had written down everything I remembered before I rewatched it, it would have been pretty accurate from a plot perspective, even down to certain shots or moments. But the thing that I'd forgotten with time was the vibe of the movie. And that's something we talked a lot about with our Slime study, how Slimehouse has an energy to it that is really palpable, but also kind of ephemeral and, and hard to put down. Kind of like the pheromones in this movie <laughs> where it's in the air and you just kind of know what slime house is when you're watching it and that part i had forgotten just it's not just the plot where he's going up against the bullies and the principal and the bad guys it's it's the the soundtrack it's max's dance moves it's the kind of fourth wall break moments where he's telling the audience how it is and his buddies and just the the way it's shot all that energy feels like quintessential slime house beyond just the plot but just the energy of the movie and that's why i think if you've seen max keeble's big move you are automatically more educated on slime house than if you have not seen this movie yeah i feel like what kind of makes this movie stand out a lot from like a lot of the other live action disney fair or just live action kids fair is that it's like not only does the character of max have attitude or rather fatitude as he describes <laughs> the movie itself sort of has that same attitude to it the movie itself sort of has an extreme kind of whole vibe the whole time the music is all like pop punk kind of stuff the way the movie shots very energetic the opening in particular sort of has a very kinetic pacing where max is like describing his feud with the evil ice cream man so it's a, mo a movie that really feels very, like, early 2000s cool kid kind of vibe, which I think makes it seem a little... You know, it's not an edgy movie by any means, but I think when I was a kid and my classmates were all kids, this movie felt edgier than a lot of the other, especially, like, Disney movies that were out at the time. Yeah, on that tip, it's one of those movies that... And this gets into kind of the wish fulfillment we've talked about a lot with these kids' movies, but... It's the way you want middle school to feel as a kid. It It is, it's loud, it's colorful, it's tons of fun, it's a mile a minute, and you can get away with anything. And I think that in that way, it does feel kind of edgy when you're in fourth grade watching this movie, even though, you know, three years later, you go to middle school and you're like, this is kind of the same thing as, as fourth through sixth grade. But I like that word kinetic. It's so energetic and has so much that it's lightning fast pacing. This is a super short movie, but so much happens in this because it's just mile a minute. We talk about the last week we talked about kind of the cartoonish pacing of Cat in the Hat. And to me, this kind of had that as well. Kind of some sequences don't really like play into each other with some sort of kind of narrative development. They just kind of place some crazy antics back to back but it just works because that's how a kid's mind is you know there's no rules there's not necessarily a need for any kind of structure because kids don't like structure on the subject of pace 
this whole movie takes place in a week, and I did not remember that about it, in that these very consequential things are all crammed into one. It's the first week of school, so Max is trying to be really cool, and he doesn't want to have to deal with bullies in junior high, but then his dad's moving, and then the principal's going to try to start groundbreaking on a stadium, and all these plot points are all within four days, essentially, and it's pretty wild how, as a kid, that type of kid logic makes complete sense and i sound like an old fart for bringing that up but as an adult you can see like wow they're they don't it's not about that or as a as an adult you can see yeah that does have kind of that cartoon logic where things move boom 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 to the next and so forth um while still feeling very live action it's not like cat in the hat where like the cat disappears in costume it's very much a live action movie with real world problems of middle school antics I was thinking while watching this, like this would be not necessarily a slime study, but like as a double feature, this and the Bo Burnham movie, Eighth Grade, would be quite a whiplash because they're both movies about middle school and and like the um, prospect of finally getting out of middle school and the kind of anxiety rush that it is. But as y'all are mentioning, this is such a like a fever dream version of it. And eighth grade is just like just pure, just the terror aspect of it. And the bully characters or antagonists are not as colorful or charismatic. They're just there's just that kind of like unpleasantness to them. But I just I I, th- I kind of think middle school movies are more interesting than high school movies sometimes because I just think it's like it's a it's like World War One movies versus World War Two movies. It's like you, you don't get the World War One movies that often. You get like 1917 or something, but you, you get a lot more World War Two movies. And I feel the same way about middle school versus high school movies and i think i just love that yeah i think something that this has a lot in common with is the diary of a wimpy kid movies recently just in the far like those are about going into middle school they kind of present middle school as very scary place to enter in the same way this does at the beginning when he first goes into middle school it's all about the lame kids trying to reinvent themselves as cool and I think this is way slimier than those so maybe those that would be a worthwhile slime study since they're both comedies and not sure how slimy Dire Wimpy Kid is, because it's been a while since I've seen it, but plot-wise, these have tons of similarities. I think that the middle school genre is very interesting, and I like that you both bring it up, because movies that are set in middle school are not watched by middle schoolers, or at least in my experience. When I was in middle school, it was around the time all the Saw movies mm-hmm. came out. That's what kids were going to go see. They weren't going to go see Max Keeble's Big Move. You were going to go see Max Eagle's Big Move if you were going to be in middle school in a year or two because you wanted to... Do your homework. Yeah, you wanted to do your homework and feel what the vibe was like, you know? Like, yeah. So that's it, it's funny that, that these movies, you know, like Max Keeble, Diver Wimpy Kid, the movie literally called Middle School, The Worst Years of My Life, <laughs> they're all of these, like, hyperactive caricatures of what middle school actually is because it's what elementary school kids think it's going to be, you know, or, or what they hope it's going to be, but it just really is not. It It's actually more like, as you said, Jared, eighth grade, the movie. Yes. There's a scene very early on that I actually didn't remember, and it's, it's really the impetus for Max Keeble making all of his decisions to kind of plan out against the school and kind of get justice for all the wrongs. And it's when he's in a English class and the teacher is kind of getting on his case for something he did wrong and he's originally going to just comply and follow it but then he has kind of the idea that oh because I'm moving on Friday I don't have to do all these things and then he just kind of goes into full tilt kid anarchy mode where he instead of sitting down at his desk quietly he like stands up at the front of the desk takes a bite out of the teacher's apple and says like you know, everything is stupid and all this stuff. And she's, her only response is like, you had to write a 2000 word essay. Now it's going to be 4,000. And he's like, oh, kid stuff and make it 10,000 or whatever. And he's jumping on the desks and just, it's pure kid anarchy and pure standing up to that obnoxious teacher and their stupid homework rules and all that. And for me, that is exactly what we're talking about in a nutshell, where this movie was so damn appealing as a kid because that's all you really wanted to do. And that's like that's like the dream of like a kid getting to do that in a school environment was so appealing. And from there, the movie just goes, you know, 
it, it cranks up the phenometer and just goes crazy. But it really begins in that moment with is just a little bit outside of what you actually could do as a middle schooler. Yeah, it's almost this nihilistic, like, viewpoint of, like, there's no real meaning behind all of this. I don't have to fall into this social construct of, of middle school anymore because I'm leaving. Like, oh, well. And, yeah, as you were saying, Nelson, that was so appealing. And I, it's funny because I'm thinking back to when I was in sixth grade, when I was back in, like, fifth or sixth grade, which was after this movie came out. Um, and we did me and my friends did so many silly kind of stick it to the man things like i had a friend who counterfeited this the classroom money that we had and <laughs> got in a lot of trouble um you know just like we we hid toys in the sandbox and hoped kids would find them just like weird like silly stuff that's not by any means to the level of max keeble but thinking back to it this movie definitely kind of planted those seeds as like you can do this stuff at school to the extent you can get away with it you know mm-hmm. like and and that i think makes this movie kind of going back to what jared was saying about it leaving in an impression over time it, it, it's one of those movies that you look back and you're like damn like that was a throwaway movie in 2001 but it really did kind of shape the viewpoint i think of a lot of kids who watched it yeah i think this movie also sort of adding to that whole anti-authoritarian slant and sort of message to the movie pretty much all the adult characters in this are straight up like irredeemable other than like (laughs) like max's parents are fine but they're presented as a little like naive and goofy but the principal the teachers the even the ice cream man which usually we'd be presented as something that's nice to a kid or good to a kid everyone in it is presented as evil literally every adult in this pretty much and even the older kids other than the one character there's a janitor a kind yes. of janitor that redeems himself near the end which is a trope <laughs> we'll talk about a trope that we've talked about before the sort of but other than that all the adults in this range from like stupid laughing stocks to like just pure villains which i think we talk about kind of how movies that villainize adults but this does it to a whole different level I would say, than the other ones we've seen. And also shows Max sort of punishing these adults and not really getting any kind of comeuppance, which I think is something that's rare in this. A lot of these, like, this movie doesn't really have that much of a lesson to be learned, unlike a lot of other movies like this. It's just sort of, here's a kid sticking it to authority and let's watch him do it and enjoy it. Well, let's start with the parents here because I think the closest thing this movie gets to moral is when the father character who is basically instigating this move to Chicago is he's doing it because his boss is telling him to, and he's not, you know, he's just a yes man. He's a pushover. He's a dictation taker. And so at some point in the movie, Max tells his dad, like you can stand up for yourself, even though you're an adult. And that is, I think this is one of the big slime house um, pillars is this idea that, parents are learning from their kids because ultimately the dad does reject the uh, demand to move to Chicago and he starts his own business. And I I like the way how the parents are portrayed in this particular movie. They're not like, so like detached from Max's life, but you also don't really know too much about them, but you know enough. And there's, I feel like there's, you, you see sort of like a change in their relationship during the film that I think is, you know, instigated by the kid and therefore, of the slime ideals ethos yeah that's great jared there's i mean there's even the line where the dad who's also the father in the lizzie mcguire series so a real slimy oh, yeah. dad um i don't want to say slimy dad because he's actually a very heartfelt father <laughs> in both of those properties but he does have but to wear a lobster costume so he does <laughs> he, he i mean he literally in this film credits max for sticking it to his boss with with a with a line along the lines of that's all because of you max that i you know was able to get the courage to start my own business you know and that i think is is exactly what you're saying jared it it gives kids the agency to not only stand up to authority and to get on the same level as adults but teach them a lesson which i think is I think we quickly identified is really 
key, if not the key to a lot of these Slimehouse movies, aside from just the general kind of aesthetic, is is kids are smarter than adults. Okay, I've been trying to think of like the moral or the lesson component that is in this movie, and I think I've got something with that. And that's the movie takes place on, it starts on the first day of school, right? And I remember every year, it doesn't matter how bad fifth grade was, the beginning of sixth grade, it was going to be your year, you know, and you felt like your friends were going to be different. You were going to be a cooler kid. Your grades were going to be better. There was this sort of aspirational quality to the first day of school. And when we, when we meet Max, he's trying really hard to be cool. And the whole big move that he does is all about being cool, showing off to the popular girl, getting back at the bullies. And he kind of loses sight of his best friends, Robe and Megan, who are kind of always there beside him. But I think of the moral of this story as being like, no matter how hard you try to be cool, no matter what kind of kid anarchy you're going to go into, kind of like what Jasper was saying, I I definitely dabbled in some, you know, stick it to the man stuff that's, you know, topic for another day. But no matter how much you do that, don't lose sight of kind of the two friends or the however many people you have right next to you, which is kind of a metaphor for like who you are, so to speak, you know, because a lot of middle school is about trying to be cool and doing crazy stuff to be cool. But I feel like Max in his heart is, you know, not that and the his close friendships who are really great characters. And I love seeing our snow day duo reunited i think that's maybe the moral that that you can take away on a bigger picture that's very subtle speaking of snow day i feel like they're very similar in that regard you know in in snow day kind of the the teenage brother character how his whole plot is oh i'm gonna try and be cool on this one day of the year where i can and try to impress you know the hottest girl in school but you know the moral of the story is you already had the coolest girl in school as your best friend the whole entire time and you just didn't know it because you were trying so hard to be somebody else so i think yes nelson i think that's totally right that's definitely a key theme that runs through a lot of these movies especially of this era this movie and snow day kind of remind me of like sort of kiddie versions of American Pie, which kind of have similar morals (laughs) in that, which American Pie came out in 1999 and was a huge success. And Snow Day came out in 2000. This came out in 2001. So I feel like there could be some relation there. Studios wanting a kid-friendly version of that movie, sort of a middle school instead of high school. Because those movies also are sort of about, like, new guy coming into high school, wants to be cool, uh, his friends are lame. He try and then like he ends up with his friends who's in the band instead of the hot girl or whatever. And a lot of the humor in this especially sort of felt like toned down. Of course, American Pie humor because there's some there's some gross out gags and of course there's like the humor's a little coarser than like a lot of other Disney movies. And there's cameos from like Tony Hawk, who's sort of a celebrity who was cool at the time and stuff like that. So this movie, I feel sort like... of a celebrity. <laughs> <laughs> he was the yeah, celebrity. Yeah, I guess at yeah, yeah, that time was his peak Tony Hawk. So he was. Oh yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. I was actually very shocked to see him in this, based on how big he was. Seems like that's a huge get for such a small little cameo. Hey, Matt. where the two close friends are throwing him a going away party he gets ambushed by his crush in the film uh her character's name is jenna and well like the scene where he he agrees to go for one milkshake drink with them and then it turns into like a a thing like where he stays way too long and he leaves his real friends hanging was a lot like what happened in the number one uh the one movie that beat tim hill's movie in the uh, slime rankings for 2020, the main event, because that movie's about a kid who's a wrestler who gets a little drunk on his own fame while trying not to, but still does anyway, and alienates his close friends that he's always had. And I feel like that kind of scene, that is a, it's a trope that 
wouldn't really be in the American Pie movies, I feel, as much. Yeah, I feel like that's something that differs this. This is more about... I mean, he does end up having a romance with the Xena Grey character as well, but it's more about friendship than mm-hmm. anything closer to relationship because it's uh, even though it is him going with his crush, yeah, I feel like it's more him being sort of swept up in the fame he's getting from all this because there's the scene where he's like dancing on the tables with little Romeo, the big party <laughs> scene, and just yeah. sort of the king of the school... And then his friends come in and see like this and see that he ignored their party. So and that's the big sort of come to God moment for Max Keeble. <laughs> there was so much hate on popularity. It was like it was so much like propaganda, like don't try to be popular, just try to have friends. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, I'm pretty sure they even explicitly at the beginning, Robe says something like, What's why do we have to be cool? Like we never like like there's some line where he says like being cool, pretty much in the vein of being cool is overrated or something like that on the bus when Max is talking about how he wants to be cool. So the message is pretty much don't try to be cool, just be yourself, which is very common in kids' movies of this era especially, I feel like, and even still today. While we're in this diner scene, I gotta say Max Keeble is an impressive milkshake chugger. (laughs) Like, that guy can pound a chocolate milkshake like nobody I've ever seen. And that is not even the sugariest rush of food in this Slimehouse movie. And we, we talk about food all the time on this show, but the amount of food in this movie and just gross liquids and gobs of goo in this are almost unparalleled. It really all culminates in perhaps one of the most iconic Slimehouse scenes of all time. I'll go out and say that. The food fight scene that Max Keeble, in his last day at school, instigates the ultimate food fight. And I just remembered that when I was in seventh grade, I attempted to coordinate, I was class president, and I attempted to coordinate a school-sanctioned food fight with the hopes of being responsible and anarchic. And the cafeteria ladies were game. We agreed we'd clean it up. (laughs) But the science teacher said, actually... That seems like it'd be really wasteful, <laughs> and that shut it down. So, is that where you became a um, food waste advocate, Nelson? Probably not, because nowadays I would have just composted it, and it would have all been fine. <laughs> but, <laughs> but I see this scene, and it's just like the ultimate wish fulfillment of like orchestrating a food fight. Every kid. Once you have that impetus, there's some kind of psychological study about you just need a couple people to get the ball rolling, and then there's that group dynamic. And it's a long scene, and there's action, and they're using trays as shields. Oh, Money shots. Just around, the best you know? thing. Yeah, I'd say it's kind yeah. of the centerpiece of the movie, as far as like the, the, what, the poster even kind of shows them with food smears behind them. So I think that really was a highlight. Lunch is served. Check and me. <laughs> Who threw that? <laughs> One last food thing in this movie that I gotta give a shout out to. At one point, the nefarious ice cream truck man, played by Jamie Kennedy, it, he gets his uh, his cooling in his truck stolen by Megan, and as a result of that, all the ice cream in his truck melts, and he starts serving his ice cream as soup instead, which is awesome. <laughs> that's just, I mean, that's it's slimy, if nothing else. I feel like soup... Is kind of a slimy thing. Like as a kid, Max brought this up a couple episodes ago, where cheese and pie were kind of like funny kid jokes for a long time, which I hundred percent agree with. But I also feel like soup was kind of like a funny kid joke for a while, like because just because it's like a liquid and anything can be like soup. I feel like it's like um, one of the grosser foods to like watch somebody eat too so yes. it's like so it yeah. comes off very funny in a slime house movie if someone's like eating soup or getting soup poured on them and if there's a character in this movie who's all about the food it's it's robe and you know he at one point the ice cream man is serving the melted 
ice cream and he just kind of nonchalantly goes hey can i try the soup <laughs> <laughs> yeah ro- robes eating habits deserve their own sort of category because it's sort of binds the gap between Slimehouse food and Slimehouse gross-out humor, which, I mean, often is kind of connected, but Robe, he just will eat food out of the trash, sort of seems to be something that's a regular thing for him to do. He picks up a can of soda on the bus and just starts drinking out of it. He he eats spaghetti off of Max that gets stuck on him in the trash. Um, At one point he throws up and makes reference to throwing up a chili omelet. which is (laughs) (laughs) like just He has a ton of sort of gross out food humor and sort of going back to the food fight, I think the most important food related gadget sort of in that the most food related innovation maybe the best of all the diy gadgets we've seen in any of these movies so far max and his friends rig up a tuba to shoot out gobs of mustard (laughs) during the food fight which that's like yeah that 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 scene really got me i think that was the (laughs) and i love how it's i love how it's backward it's very dr seuss like the (laughs) the end of the tuba where it comes out is the mouthpiece you think it'd be the big spout right no but you use that to dump the mustard in and it comes out of the little spout so they can like point the tuba and get people with it that way i loved that innovation that was that might have been my favorite revelation from this viewing that I hadn't noticed before. Mm-hmm. Oh, and it also required a vacuum cleaner to power it or something. Like, oh no, a leaf blower yeah. to make it push its way through. <laughs> I, I, I don't know if this would be considered DIY, but another gross out scene that involves food and people getting slimed is later on, there's one character that I don't think we've talked about too much yet, Dobbs, who's one of the boy characters who's this kind of like you know, young finance bro kind of guy. And like, it's not a character you would see in a Slime House movie too often, but <laughs> he's, he's, he's trading crypto and NFT. He's, he's doing a trading <laughs> algo based on Elon Musk's tweets. Yes. But um, <laughs> like they basically set the, or they, they fabricate a schism between those two characters, the ice cream man and Dobbs, where the Dobbs thinks the ice cream man has his phone and the ice cream man thinks Dobbs has the, coolant um gadget that cools the ice cream in his truck so they agree to meet in this junkyard and oh little do they know max is has the ice cream truck picked up in a crane and he places it directly over them while they're bickering and fighting all the ice cream soup spills on those two poor souls Dobbs and the ice cream man they deserve it and like in another movie, that would be this. That would be the money shot of Slimehouse in any other film. It's true. Yeah. But in Max Keeble's big move, that's just like third tier, it's second breakfast. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's such a good point because Slimehouse people, particularly my dad, is kind of like, why are you called Slimehouse? You know. And sometimes out of context, that name doesn't sound right. But when you see a movie like this, where people getting slimed, and mind you, this is not even a Nickelodeon movie, but just people getting covered in in goo or whatever is just so much it's like the ultimate way to get the bullies and you don't feel bad for them they both kind of deserve it i also love that dobbs in every he up until that point he's always wearing a nice suit and then after that he's wearing like gym yes. clothes like it ruined his <laughs> yeah his i like the kind nice of the, the implication that like that's the same suit the whole time i thought was just a really funny gag i mean dobbs in general just a very unusual character. Maybe the strangest, most like specific character we've seen in any Slimehouse movie. Mm-hmm. I'd say, and the, like, they kind of give his backstory real quick. The movie has these very slimy sort of interludes whenever it introduces a new character, where it kind of freeze frames and has a little sort of animation. And Max comes in on narration and tells about the characters. And Dobbs, I think they said he was an investing genius who became like a millionaire at ten. He lost it all at 12, and so, like, sort of his revenge, he's getting kids lunch money <laughs> to make up for the money he lost, and he calls his victims his investors, which is something else. <laughs> and he just kind of has this Blackberry, he's always, like, and he's, like, going to check back on his investors, but he's just, like, dunking them in the toilet and taking their money. It's just very funny to me. He does all the typical bully behavior, but just in this through this weird lens of being, like, a Wall Street bro, which I don't know if that was something that was, like, popular joke at the time or if it was just something the directors thought was funny. American Psycho. Mm-hmm. That's true. Maybe it's a man. He, he's the young American Psycho. Like, yeah. like kind of like yuppie culture. It's quite unique. 
on a kid's level, and, and it's nice because there are two big bullies. The other one, Troy, is a more traditional beat-you-up type of bully, although he has a great little, like, bit where he, like, wears the t-shirt of his victim that day. <laughs> but but he's still going to just pound you, right? So they they create this other type of villain that's more of, like, the brainiac bully versus, you know, the, the fist-flying bully. It's this like, bizarre kids' version of white-collar crime that is, is very is very funny. It's almost like educating kids to watch like watch out for like sleazy money types. It is a very unusual character to have in a movie like this. But now that I'm thinking about it, as we're talking, there were definitely the kind of kids in like late elementary school, early middle school who would like buy like cool mechanical pencils at target and then like resell them for like a dollar more <laughs> like there were always those like savvy investor type kids who did kind of those strange things even if it was just for like a dollar profit it doesn't feel that far-fetched it actually like in some ways feels like an accurate depiction of wall street bets <laughs> slime house instigator in real life yeah because i feel like slime house it really like pushes People you might know in real life makes them into over-the-top caricatures. And I guess, yeah, Dobbs could very much be that sort of, like, entrepreneurial kid that I feel like most schools had. I mean, I knew kids in elementary school, actually, looking back, that were, like, already, like, at least interested in stocks. I don't even think I knew what a stock a stock was <laughs> in elementary school. Yeah. So, but, yeah, this is sort of just a more over-the-top character of a very real type. And, yeah, it's... Like Nelson was saying earlier, it's interesting you kind of get these two bullies. One is a very to-the-T, like, slime house bully. Like, he could be in any slime house movie and he'd fit. He's just like a punk rock-dressing kid. He just dunks kids in the mud and all this stuff. And just a, has spiky hair. Just a very generally a typical slime house bully. And then you have this sort of unusual new type of bully character alongside him. Well, I think... Even as far as traditional bully types go, this Troy McGinty is really something. But once Max Keeble starts making his big moves, one of them includes his past knowledge that at a birthday party, <laughs> Troy McGinty got freaked out by McGoogles, the frog. The scene that made me laugh the hardest was just this flashback that almost felt... It was, it was just so random in a way that really clicked with me. And basically what happens is that Max brings McGoogles the frog back and corners <laughs> Troy McGinty in like the basketball stadium or the, the gym and just basically traumatizes this, this kid again. And the next time you see Troy McGinty, he's got like a child therapist that he's working with. <laughs> where where he basically, the therapist actually helps him understand that Max Keeble was behind it all. Which I thought was funny. <laughs> yeah. Clever. Okay, this McGoogles character is a very clear allegory for everyone's favorite purple dinosaur. Barney. Yeah, it's a, yeah for sure. Which another, <laughs> I feel like, common fear weirdly among little kids is barney the dinosaur and also a very popular subject of jokes and mockery this <laughs> exactly time. i feel so, like yeah <laughs> i feel like it was like so cool to hate barney when you uh, were there were kid. all those like all those songs about like killing him the <laughs> like, playground chants about oh yeah there, that was like something about slime house was like you had to like reject your childhood so you had to like hate barney yeah <laughs> but yeah but the whole mcgoogles gag also just it felt very slimy just sort of in the vein of when we talk a lot about just the emasculation of like the tough guys in these movies, like yeah. the tough kid with like a dumb or like wimpy fear. It feels like feels like something that's very slimy to me, and this is a mm -hmm. perfect example of that. Maybe the best example that we've seen so far, I think. While McGoogle's the frog, maybe the most larger than life animal in this movie, there are quite a few animals in this movie much to kind of my surprise i remembered there being uh, a monkey running through the halls of the school but i forgot there was a whole animal shelter filled with loving furry friends that max tries to save yeah i feel like we haven't really covered a big animal movie yet which is like a 
major subgenre of the genre. I mean, other than Racing Stripes, that's part of the slime study, but we haven't had a sole episode on a big animal slime movie. But this actually was kind of a sleeper animal slime for me, and because the animals play a pretty decent part in the plot it's all about trying to save the animal shelter and when they do come into play it's in the slimiest possible ways i mean jasper already mentioned the chimp pushes the principal into ch- chocolate pudding and there's just a chimp running around the school very slimy <laughs> in general um at one point max rides an ostrich like <laughs> during a chase scene he like hops on a trampoline and lands on an ostrich and like continues to ride it which was a really bizarre sort of scene and then and there was a stampede of animals from the shelter at one point near the end of the movie that's kind of the climax all the animals charging the school and just tons of animal hijinks in this movie that i didn't remember at all there's something about a collective animals standing up as good guys all the way back to snow white and the seven dwarves you know <laughs> yeah um, but i was especially reminded of furry vengeance and the moment ah. how the principal one of the gags there's an evil principal who's kind of the the biggest big bad of them all and has you know plans to of course ruin the animal shelter because a slime house bad guy hates animals just comes with the job description he has this mouth spray that Max subs out for this pheromone substance that makes him attractive to the animals. So just perfect for the animals to just, like, attack him in every possible way. Squirrel goes down his pants and, you know, bites him in the, in that particular region. And they get their revenge in just a very slimehouse, like, good guy animals collective stampede way. Yeah, one thing I think is, like, they gave the principal sort of, it's not a major part of the movie, but this long-standing feud with just the concept of a smelly goat like the whole he just keeps making reference like you're gonna who's gonna drive my car a smelly goat and just keeps mentioning that whenever he saw about he hates animals and at the end when he comes to the when he like gets to the animal shelter with a bulldozer to destroy it he like the first thing he mentions is like he sees and sort of makes eye contact with the smelly old goat and i feel like the animal human feud very slime animal slime to me for sure and, and I think with that, we got to get in this principal character. He's the last big bad that we haven't covered. And I mean, I think we've gone back to Snow Day a few times, but I think another way this, I think this takes the principal character that was in Snow Day, kind of takes his sort of animosity towards children and towards fun and the things that kids like and just cranks it to 11. Like this guy is something else. Just Larry <laughs> Miller that does a fantastic job with this kind of character. Like the way he, he just says things in this movie really like it's cartoony yet also kind of like you can see how someone in this universe would find that a little menacing. And like when he, every time he can get the entire school of rowdy preteens to simmer down by simply saying cease, <laughs> it's just, just like it's, it's it's very ominous almost but at the same time it's the way he's obsessed with he gets obsessed with Max Keeble the way he even pronounces his name it's like Keeble Keeble I've got my eye on you Max Keeble you're on my list it wasn't my shit but like it's just <laughs> it's really good one of the other great great scenes in the movie is towards the end of the film where well, there's this running gag in the film about how he always has these videos that he records and or, you know live and has them as like kind of assembly videos to the school, and they always go wrong in some sort of way. Like you know he's wearing the wrong thing or he keeps the camera rolling and and kind of like you know reveals something kind of cringy. But the this really pays off at the end when Max gets a hold of his fake background of like the U.S. Capitol building or something. And he has a picture of himself he superimposes on there and also speech bubble over the head of the principal as he's giving his announcement saying, I'm wearing a thong. (laughs) Yeah, I think this principal, something that really makes him super slime house principal to me is the joke is kind of he takes himself super seriously and it's just constantly being embarrassed. Like he's constantly trying to use, he's always trying to use big words and misusing them or making up words and saying look them up and acting like he's really smart up the performance actually reminds me a lot of sort of a kelsey Grammer type performance particularly his like (laughs) voice acting as sideshow bob in the simpsons where he's kind of between being menacing and like just taking himself so seriously that it's meant to be a joke and i think that 
seeing a character because the principal in Snow Day, he like hated kids, but he wasn't really a serious character. He was like dancing around on the lawn about the Snow Day, but seeing a character who takes himself super seriously, being kind of knocked down to earth, is a I think the sort of the joke of this character, and that feels super primetime slime to me. Yeah, it, it's very reminiscent of both the show Recess, which is a, a Disney property, and more specifically the feature film Recess School is Out, which takes place over summer vacation, but there's an evil principal who uses the school as a center for his scientific experiments to end summer vacation. And and in this, I liked the parallel of the the principal also using his position as a school administrator for his own personal political gain, <laughs> which which for me is this funny parallel to actual politicians. Like when you're a kid, the principal is your president essentially. Like that's that you don't care about what the president of the United States is doing because that how does that affect you? You care about what yeah. the principal does. Like. You care about like, oh, the principal is not giving us enough, you know, new playground equipment or the cafeteria food sucks. We got to go talk to the principal. And the idea that a principal actually doesn't care about the kids and is just using the school as a way to, you know, funnel money for some pet project of his to get a (laughs) raise as the superintendent to me is hilarious and in some ways very, very true. I, my parents are both school teachers and I've heard many complaints about school principals. Have they talked to crazy legs? Oh no, unfortunately <laughs> he doesn't, he doesn't come by schools anywhere after this <laughs> mishap at, at Max Keeble's middle school. And now onto the piece de resistance, the jewel and the crown of Curtis, the cafeteria. Let me tell you something about this school. It blows. <laughs> Turning that real-world political mindset and bringing it into the schoolroom, to me, is super Slimehouse. Slimehouse radicalized millennials, as as we That's know. That's very true. That's it very teaches true. you about you know big money, corporate, <laughs> corporate corruption, all that good stuff. There's something, there's another kind of key ingredient to this film that I think we, we often overlook the style elements when it's not as directly important like something like the grinch but all of the principal's close-ups they do this kind of and a cinematographer could correct me but some kind of like fisheye framing where his head is really big and just very intimidating very otherworldly and they do it a few times in the movie where it's not meant to be kind of grinch level out there but they do sort of some extreme close-ups and some kind of stuff to make him really intimidating and really kind of like over the top, like I hate kids kind of things, especially when he's kind of scolding Keeble for this or that. And it's, it's always shot from a kid's point of view too. So it yeah. makes him even more larger than life and menacing. Yeah. There's some really cool photography. Like the moment when Max and his buddies have their big plan, they're shot from really low and you can tell like, Oh, they, they know what they're doing. They're going to own the school. But for the most part, they're shot like, looking down and they're meant to be very small and the principal just watch the way he's photographed throughout from max keeble's perspective he's really intimidating and scary but then when you see him with the superintendent he's just like a a total buffoon and kind of like tripping all over himself and so i love that like scaling down the principal is really great another place where the style of the movie really comes out in the photography is i'm always baffled by just how obsessed with extreme sports the Slimehouse era was. It starts with Max, of course, has a bike, the official vehicle of Slimehouse, and is a newspaper boy, which kind of feels almost leave it to Beaver, because like, yeah, that's just a thing of the past that is is cool, but it's not done in like an old-fashioned bike way. It's done like, of course, it's like an extreme bike, and that's where he bumps into Tony Hawk, and throughout it, Max just has all these moves not only does he dance, but he just like does backflips off of tables and he just, he, and he dances on the table with um, the cool kids and just like the moves and the vibes and the way those are shot often from like low angle kind of action sports style. It, it's just amazing how like that was such an energy in this time. And you see that in spades in this movie. To me, like Max Keeble's big move is almost leave it to Beaver for this era. They're very similar. They're very about, 
you know, a kid who's not that cool with kind of a perfect suburban family, you know, trying to fit in and make do, you know, in this in this kind of crazy American suburban atmosphere. Leave it to Beaver is very picture perfect. Max Keeble, though, yes, he's kind of this nice suburban kid. He's a paper boy. Are his grades good? If I don't I... think it's brought up. Not after that week. <laughs> But everything he does in this movie is just cranked up to 11 from that kid's perspective. It's it's so cinematic in how it's framed. It's so over the top, as we've been kind of saying. And I think that that's really, as we've been getting at with this this movie specifically, like is what really elevates a movie from, yeah, this is about a kid to this is a Slimehouse movie. This is the Slimehouse attitude. And as you're saying, Nelson, that I think extreme sports attitude just trickled down into just mainstream culture and especially into Slimehouse and even down to the soundtrack like the, the pop punk stuff the teen pop stuff that's in this is just the same kind of stuff you'd see synced on the X Games or on the Tony Hawk Pro Skater soundtrack I love in the soundtrack how the popular girl always has the same oops I did it again yeah, riff every yeah. time she walks in <laughs> yeah I loved that that felt like <laughs> Pop punk and ska are kind of the big slime house genres we talk about, but I think also like the teen pop is also something that's very big. I mean, we had the Another Dumb Blonde by Hoku, I think is the artist, and yes. Snow Day that very much fits that mold, and this had the Britney Spears song, and I mean, it's teen hip hop, but the end credits song was uh, Lil Romeo, who appeared in the movie, who was sort of a young upstart rapper, and I feel like that's very essential not only do you have the punk and the ska you got the young sort of pop artists too for the young audience to recognize and enjoy so i think the soundtrack is about as slimy as the soundtrack gets without a smash mouth track but you know <laughs> it's true on that or extreme games or you know just the the way this movie kind of incorporates they're, they're sort of push and pull in terms of how this movie kind of portrays athletics and i mean it has that kind of like extreme sports energy that we've talked about but also there was this trope that was pretty popular around this time not just in Slimehouse per se but also like the american pie movies we were talking about which is the foreign exchange student and in this movie the principal brings in these three intimidating looking football players from i think like an eastern european country and they cause havoc in the band room. I think one thing we haven't talked about in this movie is that everyone, all like you know, the main characters, including Max, Megan, Jenna, they're all in the, the school band. I think that's that it can get pretty slimy and banned. One thing that you learn about the principal later on in the film is that he's allocating ninety-seven percent of the budget to like the stupid football stadium he's replacing the animal shelter with. So I almost caught the sense of like criticism of how modern educational institutions kind of over-prioritize how big your football team is and all this other stuff doesn't matter. Like, you know, like the arts get shortchanged and the other important areas of study that help contribute to society are also shortchanged. And like, maybe like, I'm reading too much into it, but I think there's kind of like an embrace of kind of like sports culture, but also kind of like only to an extent. Yeah, my dad is an art high school art teacher so i heard many a complaints about how his budget was getting cut in favor of standardized testing and other things and on this tip though i really like that note jared because art music all these subjects that in this movie are being cut for you know football these these kind of grand masculine american ideals those are all rooted in very creative fields and that's what to me a lot of slime house comes down to it's like kids can be creative they can think for themselves they can solve their the world's problems with the tools that they have in their hands and when you take that away you take away the fun you take away you know the sunshine out of the day and i really like that metaphor that you brought up jared because that's really what I think a lot of these Slimehouse movies are fighting for, is allowing kids the imagination to be creative and to have fun and to be crazy and, you know, learn from doing silly things in the world. 
this was the first movie where I actually introduced the concept of like a school fiscal budget and all that. So credit for a little bit of, you know, education and understanding how things work. But I, but sports, let's not lump sports together because I think that football does represent that 1950s kind of fall in line and conform attitude, whereas the skateboarding, all the kind of individual sports are much more about like uh, individualism and and being tricks. So I think you can you can almost break those into two. I think that sure. Slimehouse always leans towards the extreme sports for all those reasons you're talking about, Jasper. That like self expression and cool factor and all that. Whereas you see sports like football in Slimehouse, by and large, are treated as kind of like conformist and traditional, but not in a in a cool way. Hundred percent. That's a good. That's a good distinguishment. I do think being on the football team is, you know, when you're growing up, some sort of like symbol of, you know, status and popularity with you know, where you sit on sort of the, the totem of your, your community when you're younger. But one of the reasons I really dug this movie, and I think it gets a certain kind of dynamic right, is that that sort of populism is also kind of the establishment, if that makes any sense. Yeah. yeah so like, basically mm-hmm. all like, Max Keeble's moves are sticking it to the man. It's not just the principal. It's not just the boys. It's this overrated institution of traditionalist sports. Yeah, I think something really interesting is the way this movie kind of the very end of it is, I mean, we kind of saw this in House Arrest. It ends with them him doing something crazy and making it to the front page of the paper. But what he makes it to the front page of the paper for isn't for like, having a stampede of animals through the school or dumping ice cream on somebody, not for any of the silly antics in the movie, but the front page of the paper is just like Max Keeble, like paper boy exposes principles, corruption or something like that. So sort of, <laughs> like the, 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 the big reveal in the end, the big thing that is resolved. It's not him getting back at the bullies. It's not even him getting back at the principal personally. It's him exposing like the corruption of, the principle and of the school system, which is pretty interesting because they don't really think about how political schools really are. And this movie sort of emphasizes that, which is not something you see in really any movies, adults or kid centered. And, and that ties it all back because that newspaper, the way it's written and framed and all that, and like the headings take your pick throughout this entire movie. It really is that wish fulfillment. You know, it really kind of brings it back together at the end. Yeah, this is if if there's any movie that embodies I think House Arrest and Snow Day are, are good examples of this, Home Alone. But if there's any movie that really embodies that idea of wish fulfillment that we hammer home every episode, it's Max. And it's just like it the the opening scene of the movie establishes that that's what this is gonna be about and the ending movie also establishes that that is what this is about. And I think that is like, I think that symmetry is actually very, like, intended and on purpose, and I just really love that. And it's funny because last week we had our perfect 10 with Cat in the Hat, where we, we just like, this is Slimehouse, this is Slimehouse. What we're seeing with Max Keeble is almost like the flip side of the same coin in the best possible way, where Max Keeble represents a different type of quintessential slime. In Cat in the Hat, everything's sort of extreme and over the top and zany and kind of otherworldly. Whereas Max Keeble is very much about a real middle school antics and even like the hyperbolic scenarios still take place in the real world, unlike say Cat in the Hat. And so for me, just to go right into my slime score, and this probably isn't a big surprise, but this is a 10 out of 10 Slimehouse movie for me in the sense that it has all those components of the themes, the vibe, the tropes. I mean, we haven't even mentioned a, a few big scenes, you know, but it's it's like, and I'll, I'll just throw in one more that I think captures the whole thing, you know, one of many scenes that captures the whole thing in a nutshell. So Troy the bully beats up Max by like dunking him in mud, covering him in sawdust, then throwing him in the trash. He's just like totally trashed out and he's walking around school looking slimed out and awful. And he's just uh, like, his friends are like, well, what are you going to do, Max? And he's like, I'll just take a shower here and he starts dancing in the sprinklers and cleaning himself up that way and just like that vibe of like i can do whatever and like i can clean myself up and just like slime but it's met with like cool factor kid as well like all in one the movie is just it's it's everything i think like i said a second or 
as I said earlier, if you watch just this movie, you will be more educated on what Slimehouse is. 10 out of 10 for me. Yeah, I got a second that. This is a easy 10 for me. I feel like our last 10, our first 10 last week, uh, Cat in the Hat sort of captures one side of Slimehouse and what kind of it's all about. And this captures that other form of Slimehouse, which is the sort of kid wish fulfillment rather than like the live action cartoon to a perfect 10. It has like, I feel like something I really associate with Slimehouse is that extreme attitude we were talking about. And this really represents that more than anything, even down to like Max Keeble's hair, the soundtrack, the fact that, <laughs> I mean, there's one scene where it's just, footage of random skaters and it's playing bowling for soup there which is like <laughs> i just feel like this movie sort of extreme attitude it's slapstick it's grossness the characters this is just everything i think that like what slimehouse means what slimehouse is so yeah very easy to so i'm thinking about how the seuss adaptations that we covered on the show grinch and cat in the hat gave both a 10 but at the end of the day, those movies were going to get made anyway, even if Slimehouse was not a thing. And they would have looked different. This, by contrast, is a movie that could only really be conceived as a Slimehouse flick. If Slimehouse didn't already exist, this would, like, you couldn't even pitch this. Like, it's, it's, it's the most undiluted slime that I think we've covered on this show so far for that reason. So, I mean... Again, not a surprise, but this is the tenniest 10 I've given. <laughs> Hell yeah. I, I can't even build it up even more. <laughs> all, all the boys have already echoed everything I would say. So this, again, is a, is a perfect 10. I am getting sick of giving 10s, man. We got to... <laughs> we gotta throw like uh a... <laughs> we gotta find some stinkers. Well, we, we had Dreamer. That's a... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, counterbalance. I, this was a really fun rewatch. I will say, I, I not, not every Slimehouse movie I love, but I have nothing but good things to say about this movie, and I, I was very glad to revisit it. It's such a short movie. It's such a fast movie, fast-paced and fast runtime, and it's just so fun. It's so jovial. It There's nothing that it takes too seriously, and it's all the better for that. You could be a snob and pick and point oh this plot line doesn't make sense or that's juvenile but like this movie isn't for you if that's the stuff you're going for you know like if you if you just take it at face value for what it is it's a pure sugar rush of of good fun no matter what its slime score mm-hmm. is it's it's just good fun yeah i think this movie overall uh, probably just as far as how much i like it personally might be my a personal favorite that we've covered on the podcast which i honestly wasn't expecting because i hadn't seen this movie since i was a kid didn't remember it that well but i had a lot of fun with it and i'd say it's a, it's a great movie for anybody to check out who wants to know like what slime is i think if someone asks what slime house pop on this movie and that explains it better than anything <laughs> available on disney yep. plus yep and with that guys another great banger of an episode and uh we will see you bassoon oh, <laughs> slimehouse a podcast created by jared anderson jasper birnbaum max morris and h nelson tracy visit us on the web at slimehousepod.com our website is created by Brian Hume of Valencia Creative Co. Theme music composed by Greta Russell. If you like what you hear, support this podcast at anchor.fm slash pod or by following us on social media at slimehousepod.